Well, can I ask you to turn to Colossians chapter 1? And it's a privilege to be here and to open God's Word and for a few moments this afternoon to consider what the Lord would say to us. And we've been really encouraged and blessed on this set out of the holiness of God uh, by our brother, Mr. Baker, and then by Mr. Patterson on the struggle that we have. And then I'm coming really to speak something to do with how to uh, achieve uh, that growth and holiness and some, I hope, practical uh, information. It's going to be topical. It's going to be referencing a lot of verses. I encourage you to pay on the piece of paper. I'll not be able to maybe uh, turn to every verse, but I'll certainly quote them. And I trust it will be a blessing to us. But in opening, we want to read Colossians chapter 1. Uh, verses 9 to 18. And as you're turning it up, I want to thank the Reverend Horace for his vision for a men's conference and for doing this. It's very important that we have the opportunity to gather together. And as you know, there's plenty on for ladies uh, in their churches and in the free church in general. But it's good for men to get together and to simply study the Word of God and fellowship together too. So we appreciate, brother, your uh, organization of this and the day we've had so far. We're going to read from Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9. And this is a prayer of the Apostle Paul for the church at Colossae. And sometimes we maybe wonder what things should we pray in our prayer meetings? What things should we pray for our churches? It's good to actually go through the epistles and see what the Apostle prayed for the churches. And there we have a good format of things we ought to pray for. How can I pray for you as my brother in Christ? How can I pray for my congregation? Well, here is an example. Verse number nine, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious part. Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven. And that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, that in all things he might have the preeminence. What is the purpose of meetings like this? What's the purpose of us preaching on the Lord's Day and at Bible studies? Well, it is that we be filled with the wisdom and the spiritual understanding. To what end? That we'll be more intelligent? That we'd have more knowledge? Well, if you look at the end of verse number nine, it says, you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye might walk worthy. And the purpose of the preaching of God's word and the teaching of God's word and the reading of God's word is that we would apply it to our lives and we would walk according to it and therefore walk worthy of our stand in Christ as a Christian. To walk worthy of our calling. 
And we're reminded at the very last part that I read in verse 18 that in all things he might have the preeminence. And therefore, as we come to study this subject for a few moments, let us just pray that the Lord will have preeminence today, that he'll be seen, and that as we do look at these practical helps, that the Lord uh, will be honoured and glorified even in our midst this afternoon. Our gracious Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we thank thee and we praise thee for the opportunity to be here today. And her souls already have been fed on the finest of the wheat. We thank thee, Lord, that we have stood and we have by faith viewed our God. And Lord, how we have realized the awesomeness of his holiness. And how, Lord, we have so barely scratched the surface in our understanding. Lord, our minds are finite. And we pray, Lord, that you'll just give us that uh, increased ability to think higher thoughts of God than we ever have before. We thank thee, Lord, for our brother's honest and biblical uh, teaching on the struggle that we have. And there's not one would dare to say we don't have that struggle. But, Lord, if we're honest before thee, we are glad that Paul wrote about his struggle because we realize we're not alone. And therefore, Lord, we pray as we come to this topic about how to grow in the Lord, that thou will give us grace. And Lord, just give us help. May it be very practical. May we walk away saying, well, here's things that I can do uh, that will help me in my walk with the Lord. Lord, we want to be the men you've called us to be. And we want to be, Lord, uh, the people that you would desire us to be. And therefore, today, we pray that, Lord, just close out all thoughts that are not convenient for this moment. And, Lord, may we hear the voice of the Lord saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. And give us grace to do that today. Lord, we pray that will empty me of self and sin. Fill me with thy spirit. And give me help in the delivery of this word. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Well, I have three simple points today. And I suppose the first one is maybe a little bit of a recap, but it's important that we do it as we go into the second and third. The first thing I want us to notice today in our topic is to acknowledge the struggle of growing in holiness. Now, our brother presented that very clearly there in uh, Romans. But I just want to simply mention some statements, some facts that will just help us as we come to this subject. You know, there are two dangers when we think about the matter of personal holiness. And one danger is that there are those who feel they've reached the pinnacle. They've reached this level where they're sinless and they have nothing more to achieve. That's very dangerous. It's erroneous, it's wrong. And certainly if you hear anybody telling you that they've reached a state of sinless perfection, you can tell them, well, you've just lied. It's wrong. It's not scriptural. Point me to one verse in the Bible and you'll find it's not. Our brother has given a wonderful message there uh, from the book of Romans. Paul, one of the greatest preachers, struggled with sin. But there's the other side where people don't recognize the importance of it. And it's maybe not preached upon. And people don't even make an effort to strive to be holy. They go to church on a Sunday. Dumb the Jedi. Put my money in the plate. That's it. That's as far for some people as their walk goes. And both of these things come about as a lack, as a result of a lack of spiritual knowledge, or scriptural knowledge, I should say. And if we come to the word of God, we will find these following truths. First of all, God has always called his people to be holy. That's always been the case from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We think of just before the children of Israel were going into the promised land in the book of Leviticus, uh, five times and once in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord said, be ye holy, 
Be ye holy. And that's not just an Old Testament command because in 1 Peter 1, 15, 16, as it is written, be ye holy as I am holy. So whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament era, the call for the people of God is to be holy. So let's underline that. In fact, we have been saved to be a holy people. Secondly, if God has given us a command, then there's power and grace to obey it. God doesn't give us commands that are impossible to obey, but rather he gives us grace and by his spirit power to obey that command. There is power to overcome sin. There is power to overcome sin. You go to me, or go with me, sorry, to uh, Romans chapter 6. And in Romans chapter 6, verse number 6, it says... Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And whenever you think of who you are, and you're a Christian, you're a child of God, this is one of the statements that God has made for his people, we should not serve sin. What a good way to start the day. Lord, you've called me not to serve sin. You've called me to be an overcomer. You've called me to live a life that brings glory to thy name. These are scriptural commands. And then look down at verse number 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. It shall not have dominion over you if you're not under the law, but under grace. In the book of Galatians, and we'll not turn there, but in Galatians chapter 5, we have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And it says, they that are Christ's have crucified with the flesh the affections and the lusts. So we live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. And then we have read just a few moments ago in Colossians that we might walk worthy, strengthened with all might. And I want to say at the very outset of this uh, message, you cannot strengthen yourself. You cannot make yourself more holy. But you can, through the power of God, make decisions that will result in holiness. And therefore, we have to look to the Lord. Now, one of the Puritans, Thomas Watson, said, the saints are not only compared to stars for their light, but to trees for their growth. A good Christian is not like Hezekiah's son that went backwards, nor like Joshua's son that stood still, but is always advancing in holiness and increasing with the increase of God. And that's what holiness is, increasing in the increase of God. Thirdly, we cannot achieve perfect holiness this side of eternity. We've already had that study today. What a blessing it has been and what teaching we've had. Also, as well as Romans 6, Paul writes in Galatians, For flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that ye would. So while there is a battle there, we must strive for holiness. We must strive for growth. We must strive for uh, that maturity as a Christian. J.C. Ryle said, The spiritual health and prosperity, the spiritual happiness and comfort of every true-hearted and holy Christian are intimately connected with the subject of spiritual growth. Fifthly, 
Growth in any way as a Christian is a gradual process. Growth is a gradual process. In 2 Peter 3.18 it says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. But if you turn to Isaiah chapter 28, you'll find a, a verse that really reveals to us the way in which we grow. And it's speaking here specifically about knowledge, but it's applicable to other aspects of our life. Verse number 9, Isaiah 28, 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. You see, we build gradually our knowledge of the Lord. We grow gradually day by day in the grace of God. We grow gradually in holiness. But the question is, are you growing? Is there growth? Is there going on with the Lord? We met here last year. Are you more holy than you were last year? Are you more mature than you were last year? Have you a closer walk with the Lord today than you did this time last year? These are questions we ought to ask. But it's good to remember that this is a gradual process. Yes, we lament the fact that we're not as holy as we could be, but it's a gradual process, and we must acknowledge that work and time and effort must be put in. We never stop, fifthly, we never stop striving for holiness until we reach heaven when we will be made perfectly holy. Now, you can be or you cannot be more justified because that's a once for all work. You cannot be more forgiven. You cannot be more at peace with God than the moment you first trusted Christ. But you can be more Christ-like. You can be more holy, you can be more spiritual, more mature as you walk with the Savior. And we find that the scripture says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. What a day that's going to be whenever we stand in heaven and realize the battle's over. The battle's finished. You can lay down the weapons of war and the armor because the battle's over. No more fight with sin. Made like our Savior. Now, there is a process of growing as a Christian, and it's called sanctification. Catechism asks, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. We should make that the prayer of our hearts, Lord. Daily, let me die to sin. Say no to sin. Let me live unto righteousness. Choose that which brings glory to thee. If you turn to Second Peter chapter 1, we see an example of what it is to grow. And here we have some practical instructions for growing in uh, Greece. Look at verse number five. First, or Second Peter chapter one, verse five. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So this is adding on to your faith, not to for salvation, but for holiness, for growth as a Christian. Add to your faith virtue, 
and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there are things that we are to do in our lives and things that we're to add and to make the effort in certain areas. First Thessalonians, we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Colossians 1.10, increasing in the knowledge of God. Someone once wrote these words, a healthy life in an animal or vegetable will always show itself by progress and increase. It's just the same with our souls. If they are progressing and doing well, they will grow. Are we growing? And before we come to our second point, let us think about this. The first step in addressing this issue is to consider your heart. To bring it before God and ask God to search it. Confess your lack of concern in this matter, if that's the case. Confess your failure in this matter, if that's the case. Confess your struggles in this matter, if that's the case. Be honest with God. Tell the Lord that you failed, if that is the case. That's not for his knowledge, because God knows all things, but rather it's for confession of our need, as he has commanded us to come before him, boldly to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Often think of the two people in the road to a mess. And whenever the Lord saw them, they were sad, they were disheartened, they were downcast. Now, the Lord, who has infinite knowledge and omniscience, knew exactly what was wrong. But did you realize as he walked along beside them, he said, why are you sad? Do you not know the things that have happened in Jerusalem, things that have fallen out? What things? Now, why did the Lord ask that? He didn't need to know for knowledge, but rather it was an opportunity for them to share with him. And therefore, when we come to pray, Speak to the Lord. Talk honestly before God. Talk about your struggles, those things, even in this aspect of growth and maturity and uh, this holiness that you struggle with. And therefore, there's two things that I want to leave before you this afternoon as we consider this matter of holiness. First of all, identifying the means for growing in holiness. Identifying the means. God uses means to help us grow in grace. There are things that God has provided for us. And not only has he provided them for us, he identifies them for us. These are ordinary means. Some people think, well, holiness is only for special people. Only special people attain that. Oh, it's only for the minister. It's only for the missionary. It's only for, oh, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so. But God's call to holiness is to all his people. And therefore, we need to take time to consider the means that God has provided for the Christian's growth. First of all, we notice that there are the private means of grace. Private means of grace. That's a thing that a Christian must do himself or use himself. Things that he will do within his home, in his own daily life. And there's three things that I think we can say, and you will not be surprised uh, when I give you these three things, but it's good to be reminded. First of all, scripture reading. If you want to be a holy man, you will never do it without the book. You need to read the word of God. And it is God's word that will lead you. It's through his word that the Lord speaks. Now, 
we thank God for good books. We have uh, highlighted some books that have been a blessing to us that we have shared with you. Uh, we have shelves filled with books that the Lord has used to bless us. But to use the course of the children's meeting, the best book to read is the Bible. It's the Bible. And I, I'll give you an example of this. Whenever I was uh, being exercised by the Lord to come into Bible college, the Lord was putting upon my heart some verses in Matthew's gospel. I heard them several times in sermons. It seemed nearly every time I went to church, people were quoting these verses. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. You pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers unto his harvest. And these verses came again and again and again to my heart to the point where I realized that the Lord was speaking to me and that I needed to take some steps to consider applying to college. And I did that. And eventually the letter came to say that I had my interview now, for your interview, you have to go before the board and they will ask you questions, but you also have to preach to them. And I preached in 1 John 1, verse 9. At that point, I had never preached before adults before. I was a children's worker. I preached in many children's meetings, many youth meetings, but never preached really before adults. In fact, I went in and preached to my session before I went to the interview to have some experience of preaching to adults. The morning came round of the interview and I woke up that morning and thought, right, I need a word from the Lord, just a word of confirmation. So I lifted down my daily devotional and I read through the daily devotional. There's nothing about service, call of God, Bible college, nothing. There was another one on the shelf, lifted it down and had to read. Nothing to do with service, your future, Leading, plans, nothing. And then I went to my Bible. And the next portion of my Bible that I was to read was John's Gospel, chapter 4. When I come down to verse number 35, it says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look unto the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And the Lord gave me a confirmation that morning that I was called into the harvest field. It didn't come from my daily readings. And the Lord can use those. The Lord speaks through his word. That's the point I'm getting. And you can read all the books about the Bible. And you can read all the books about holiness and all the books about the Ten Commandments. But get to the Bible. This is where the food is. This is where the truth is. And therefore, come to it. We have the greatest access to scriptures than any time previous in history. You don't even have to we were talking on the way up in the car. You don't even have to open a book now. You can say to this little box, uh, read John chapter 3, King James Version. You don't even have to open a book. The whole thing will come. We have such access to the scriptures. Are we using it? Are we reading it? Not only scripture reading, prayer. A friend, if prayer, personal prayer is not engaged in, you'll miss out on much. God's storehouse is full of blessings. But often God's people are barren. It's not a lack of supply. It's a lack of prayer. A lack of prayer is pride 
It's going through life saying, I can do without asking God. A lack of prayer is disobedience because the scripture teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Sermon on the Mount is when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray. It's foolishness because only the Lord can give us the mercy and the grace that we need in the time of need. Every day is a time of need. Our time of need ends the moment we take our final breath and are promoted to glory. We're in a time of need. We need the Lord. The world, the flesh and the devil roar and we need God's help. We need to pray. We need to humble ourselves to pray. We need to realize we need to pray because we will never win the battle without prayer. And then there's the examination of one's own heart. Psalm 139, you know it. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Verse 23, 24. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Something I realized when I was studying for this message. The psalm, psalmist ends with, search me, O God, and know my heart. The very first words of Psalm 139 are, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. So again, this is not the Lord searching so he discovers knowledge about us. It's asking the Lord to search us that he will reveal to us what we need to know in our hearts. And therefore, we need to come before the Lord. If you come before the Lord sincerely and ask the Lord to search you and ask the Lord to reveal uh, things in your heart that are wrong, the Lord will answer that prayer. That's a solemn prayer, actually. But it's a very important prayer. And God will reveal, and sometimes it's by conscience, we feel the guilt of something comes under our mind, Sometimes it's by scripture as we read the Lord reveals something that we've done wrong. Sometimes it's by revelation, such as when Nathan came before David and said, Thou art the man. Sometimes people come to us and said, Brother, you were wrong in that. And whatever way it is that the Lord reveals our heart, we need to get that matter right before the Lord. I suppose in many ways it's easier to think about the public means of grace because As you come to church on a Sunday, that's a normal thing to do. And you nearly come sometimes because if you weren't there, people ask questions. But there's less accountability in the private means of grace. And there needs to be discipline there. And the world won't know your routine of prayer and reading the word and examining your heart before God. But heaven will. And if you don't have enough time to do these things on a daily basis, then your time management is wrong. And you need to discipline yourself and ask God to give you the discipline to do what is necessary for your spiritual growth. Secondly, we have the public means of grace. What do I mean by that? I mean attending public worship. Attending the morning service and the evening service. And I'm probably preaching to the choir here as the saying goes. But it might surprise you the number of Christians who don't go to an evening service. And the excuse I have heard at times in the past has been, well, I'm already a Christian. I don't need to go to the gospel service. That's very sad. If that's your opinion of the importance of the gospel service is just for the unsaved. 
We need to go to the gospel service. We need to go to gospel missions. We need to sit under gospel preaching, even as believers, because we need to be reminded continually what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for our souls. We need to be brought to the cross. We need to be brought to the promises of God, to the sinner, and to be reminded that we are recipients of the gospel of grace. And we ought to rejoice in going to that service, firstly, because we are going to hear the gospel that has saved us and about the one who has satisfied us. And we have the privilege of praying that others in that place would also come to know Christ. It should change us. We ought to learn in the gospel meeting what a low view of preaching and public worship some Christians have. You know, sometimes uh, before COVID came, I would have said from our pulpit sometimes, you know, someday you'll not be able to come to church. Old age, infirmity, sickness. When you're well and able, make sure you use the opportunities you're given. Little did I know the whole thing was going to close down and people weren't able to come for some time. But the reality is we're accountable for our time before God. He's called us to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And we ought to be engaged in public worship. We ought to be engaged in prayer and praise to the listening of the preaching of the word, partaking of the Lord's table. And these will only be engaged in with maximum benefit if the private means are engaged properly. You need to be at home reading and praying and searching your heart before you come and receive full benefit from the public means of grace. And I know what it's like. Uh, I've been a teenager. Uh, I know what it's like to roll out of bed at a quarter to 12 and into the church at five past 12. And you're not awakened until about the end of the announcements, if even that. And you sit and you listen and you go out and you're just about awake. There's a complete difference when you're up. You've done your own reading. You've prayed. You've driven to the house of God in time. You take your seat and you're expecting God to speak. Now, how you come to God's house will determine how you hear God's word. And therefore, I encourage you to see this as a wonderful opportunity. Do you prepare to come or do you just come? When you sing, do you think of the words that you're singing or do you just sing the words? Whenever prayer is made publicly, do you just bow your head until the preacher says amen? Or do you within your heart lift up your heart in prayer and engage with the preacher and seek the face of God? When the word of God is preached, do we sit back to see if we like it? Or to be entertained? Or do we listen attentively, having asked the Lord to speak to us, remembering that this word is a living word and that the Lord speaks through it? Alarm bells ring for me when a Christian no longer has a desire to be at the house of the Lord. Or the Lord's table. It's deeply concerning. And I would also say that in the public means of grace, I would add to it that every Christian ought to sincerely get before God and seek the Lord's face as to the church they should be attending and holding membership in. And when God reveals that, get into that church and commit yourself to that church. There are many people don't want to be under church authority because they don't want to be under authority. 
And you'll find that people who don't want to be under authority don't want to be under any authority. And sometimes that even includes the Lord's. God's call to us as believers is to be a member of a faithful New Testament church. And we ought to be. It's obedience to the word of God, but it's also a great aid to your growth. Because you're placing yourself under spiritual leadership. You're making yourself accountable to that church. And that's a good thing. That's a structure that the Lord has um, established and outlined in his word. And if we follow it, we will be blessed. So we have the private means of grace. We have the public uh, means of grace. We have also the need for discipline over personal conduct. So the Lord's word should apply to every aspect of our lives. And I was saying uh, on Thursday night past at a meeting I was at, the scripture talks about uh, the word of God and the law of the Lord being placed upon the forehead and upon the arms and upon the doors of the house. And if you go to Israel today, you will find people who have uh, pieces of black leather wrapped around their arms, a little box in it. And they've got those words out of Deuteronomy. Uh, and it is, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart. And that's within that little box. And there's people who've got a little strap around their head and they've got that little box there and the words are in it and they've little um, metal things on the side of their doors and inside is a little scroll with those words on it. And they've taken those words literally, but they've missed the meaning. The meaning is this, that God's word is applicable for every single aspect of your life. Whether it's by your actions, by your thoughts, in your house, outside of your house, God's word applies to every aspect of your life. And so it does. And I've heard the word watch used as an acrostic, and I want to use it this afternoon for a few moments to highlight the areas that the Lord needs to have control over and that we need to surrender to him. Watch, W-A-T-C-H. What do we need to watch? Well, first of all, W, we need to watch your words. We need to watch our words. And if we're going to grow in holiness and in maturity and spirituality and Christ-likeness, then we need the Lord to have control of our lips. What did the psalmist say? Psalm nineteen fourteen. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. He didn't just want the right words to say. He wanted the heart and the outward part of his life to correlate. He wanted them to be in union with one another. We need to pray. Have you ever prayed that the words of your mouth would be acceptable unto God? What a prayer. Lord, may what I say be a blessing and a benefit to those to whom I speak. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always with grace. Oh, but you know, preacher, I, I'm just, I'm just short-tempered and I say what I want and that's just the way of me and you'll never change me. No, I'll never change you, but God can. And if you will submit to him and discipline your tongue, you'll be changed. The problem is some people don't want to be changed. A stands for your attitude. We need to let our attitudes be under the control of the Spirit of God. Because if we do not have a right attitude, I'll tell you, you'll not have a life of holiness. You'll not grow. You'll not mature. You'll not be Christ-like. Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye conformed or be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ. 
Because if we have the wrong attitude, we will make the wrong decisions. If we have the wrong attitude, we will look at things with the wrong perspective. If we have the wrong attitude, it's often going to be me, 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 me. The right attitude is Christ alone. Christ first. Christ exalted. T stands for time. Our time needs to be regulated by the Lord. Now the Lord, in essence of our time, asks us to set aside one-seventh of our time. That is one day. Specifically in his worship. However, there are also the requirements for the joining together in fellowship, for the sharing of the gospel, for the reading of the word, and that's to be done not just on that one day, but throughout the week. So we could give you these two verses that might help you with this. Psalm 90 verse 12 teaches to number our days that we may apply our hearts on to wisdom. It means to weigh out and to measure your days. And that might literally mean for you making out a timetable of your day to say, well, this hour is for the Lord. And I am going to study God's word. I'm going to read a book that's going to be of spiritual benefit to me. I'm going to spend time in prayer. Ephesians 5 and 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The word redeeming there means making the best use of, making the best use of our time. It's not that what maybe you're doing necessarily is wrong or sinful, but it's maybe not the best use of your time. May the Lord give us grace to use our time wisely. C stands for companions. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth countenance of his friend. If you want to see what you're going to be like in five years' time, have a look at your closest friends today because they will influence you. You know what it's like. You spend time with someone. Maybe they have a specific saying or some turn of phrase that they use all the time. And then all of a sudden, you start to use that turn of phrase and that saying, and you want, where did that come from? Well, you're, you've gleaned it from the person you're with. I can't overest or overemphasize the importance of your friendships. I believe they'll make you or break you. And I want to show you one example. And if you turn with me to 2 Samuel 13, it's maybe not a very familiar passage, but I think it's a very important passage. To emphasize this. And it says there in 2 Samuel 13, verse 1. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. So basically it's saying here that Absalom's sister Tamar, Absalom Tamar's half-brother Amnon are in this particular account. And he, it says loved her. Now that is not the idea of a pure love of friendship. It's a lust. He lusted after her in a way he ought not to have been doing with anyone other than his wife, never mind his half-sister. Verse 3, but Amnon had a friend. And you see those words, those words completely turn around this situation because 
He knew that he shouldn't do anything about this. He thought it hard for him to do anything to her. He knew he shouldn't do anything because of the relationship. But he had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle, deceitful man. And he said unto her, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Will they not tell me? And Ammon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down in the bed, make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress the meat in my sight that I may eat it. Um, and if you go down there uh, to verse number nine, and she took a pan and poured them out, and he refused to eat. And Naaman said, Have out all the men from me, and there went out every man from him. And Amnon said unto Tamar, Bring the meat into the chamber, that I may eat of thine hand. Verse 11, And when she brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her. And said, Come lie with me, my sister. Verse 14, Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than her, she forced her and lay with her. How did he end up here? Well, he wasn't watching. Look at his words. He was complaining about something he should have put immediately out of his mind. His attitude, he was covetous, lusting after that which didn't belong to him. Think of his time, he wasted it, pining over sin. But think of his companion. He gave him the push. Go on ahead. Go on ahead. And what happened? There was a devastating consequences for a young lady whose purity was destroyed. For a father whose family was torn apart. And for a family who couldn't fellowship anymore. Why? Because Amnon had a friend. And I'll tell you, if you have spiritual people, they will aid you in your spirituality. And if you have ungodly people, they will lead you in the path of ungodliness. Make sure that your closest companions are those who are close to the Lord. Thomas Brooks said, Let them be thy choicest companions that have made Christ their chiefest companion. Do not so much the eyes, or do not so much eye the outside of men as their insides. Look at their internal worth. May you make friends of those who are most filled with the fullness of God. H stands for habits. Watch your words, watch your attitudes, watch your time, watch your companions. Watch your habits. Whenever you read the word of God, we speak respectively here, but we read of the habit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, chapter 5, 16. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And in the original Greek, the tense of the word withdrew has the sense of something that Jesus frequently did. He frequently, or he went as he had done in the past. He frequently went to pray. Psalm 5 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. See, we need to be disciplined in our personal conduct, but there is no discipline in our personal conduct if we are not in communion with the Lord. And the reality is a lack of discipline in a Christian's life 
whether regarding their words or their attitude, whether regarding their time, their companions or their habits, is a very sad and sorry state, but it's also a very serious state because it grieves the Holy Spirit, divides the church and mars the testimony of the faithful. I'm going to say something that might surprise you, but it's true. Every problem that has ever occurred in a church has been because one or both parties has failed to discipline themselves according to the principles of the word of God. Because if they had been in obedience to the principles of the word of God, the brethren would have dwelt together in unity. Spiritual people do not cause problems in the church. And you maybe say amen, and I say amen, but let's make sure we're not the unspiritual. Let's make sure we're not the problem. Thirdly and finally, and quickly for I know time's gone, enjoying the benefits of this growth. There are great benefits to walking with the Lord, to growing in maturity, to being a holy man. And we want to look at it from two angles. First of all, from a very wide lens. And then we want to zoom right down in to see specifically. First of all, in a wide lens, what happens whenever a man or woman grows, obeys, goes on with the Lord? Well, number one, and never forget, this is the ultimate end and goal of our striving after holiness. God is honored. That's why we strive after holiness. That God is honored. It's not for our comfort as much as it is for God's glory. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What comes first? The glory of God, then the enjoyment of man. God is honored. Secondly, there's a right spirit within. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit, but I'm talking about a right attitude within our hearts. And if that right attitude is there where we're walking with God and we're in tune with the Lord, that will result in wise and right decisions. Thirdly, there's joy and obedience. There's joy as you walk with the Lord. You know, some people think uh, the more spiritual you are, the more depressed you have to look. There's joy in the Lord. And then there's usefulness and service. Great usefulness. The Lord can take a holy life and oh, the power. Oh, the power that the Lord can use it or the Lord can use it with, because I read and have heard testimonies of men and women who never stood in a pulpit, who never went to Bible college, who never were seen as spiritual giants, but they stood in the factory floor, they worked in the farmyard, they worked in the school or in the office, and they lived for Christ, and the fact that they were living a life that was holy spoke to the people around them. It was the start of the Lord working in their lives and bringing them to realization that this Christianity, this salvation is real because here's someone who is living for the Lord. Whenever you turn to Psalm 51, and I ask you to do that, in Psalm 51, David has sinned and he is now coming to a time of confession. His sin with Bathsheba was highlighted to him whenever Nathan the prophet came and said, Thou art the man. But do you know for over a year, David had been out of fellowship with God? 
David hadn't been growing. David hadn't been spiritual. David had not been uh, in the center of the will of God. And we find that the things I have just mentioned were lacking in his life. And he prays to the Lord to give them back. Look, first of all, uh, God has not been honored in his life. What does he say in verse number four? Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And friend, for us to walk contrary to the will of God or in disobedience to the Lord, it is against the Lord. The Lord is dishonored. The Lord is grieved. We offend God by living in sin or by refusing to go on. Verse number 10. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Remember, his spirit wasn't right. But he prayed that the right spirit would be renewed, that he would make wise decisions and good decisions. Thirdly, uh, you lose your joy in obedience. Look at verse number 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And then there's usefulness and service. Verse 13, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. That's not possible in his current state before his repentance because he had unclean hands and unclean heart. So you can see the importance of walking with God. You can see the importance of holiness and the blessings of growth. But as much as there are the blessings of growth, if you do not grow with the Lord, then you lose certain blessings. You don't lose your salvation. Of course you don't. But you do lose the joy of being Christ-honoring. You do lose joy, you do lose that right spirit, you do lose that usefulness. And if we're honest, there are a lot of miserable Christians today. And the complaint it's the state of the world, or the complaint it's the state of the church, of course, maybe in the preacher. But you know what? It's the fact they're not going on with God. The Lord won't withhold joy from those who walk with him. And we want to zoom now with our lens a little further and see what this life looks like close up. And I just very briefly mention these things. What do we note about someone who is holy, who is walking in fellowship, who is maturing as a Christian? Well, I've looked at J.C. Ryle's study on the subject and I highlight a couple of his points and add a couple of my own. And I just simply leave them before you. There is an increase in humility. And I'll tell you, whenever we get closer to the Lord, we will see more of our feelings, our imperfections. Paul called himself the least of saints, the chief of sinners. One Bible commentator said, the riper he is for glory, more like the corn he hangs down his head. The brighter and clearer is his light, the more he sees of the shortcomings and infirmities of his own heart. Holiness results in humility. Not me, me, me. I know best, but a realization that, oh, how little we know, and Lord, save us from ourselves. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, the Lord said. So, Lord, lift us up into thy ways and into thy thoughts. We need thee, Lord. B, <coughs> an increase in love for the Savior and for the things that Christ loves. Once we didn't know the Savior, once we didn't love the Savior. But now the Christian grows in affection, in reverence, in likeness with him, 
with each passing day. As he spends time with Christ, he's more interested in the things Christ is interested in. He's interested in the word. He's interested in the church. He's interested in the people of God. He's interested in the gospel. You see, it's no, grow, it's no mark of grace whenever we're less troubled about sin than we once were. It's no mark of grace whenever we grow more worldly. No, we need to uh, pray that the Lord will keep us walking with him, that our love for Christ will grow, our hatred for sin will grow, and our compassion for the things that Christ has compassion for will increase. Also, an increase in spiritual joy. John especially in his writings, mentions this. Uh, in fact, it says in John 15, verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you, words of Christ, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. So the word of God has been given, the words of Christ have been given, that the joy of the Lord would be ours. Now, if you close the book and you never pray the promises of the book and you never go to sit under the preaching, I tell you, you'll lose your joy. 1 John 1, verse number 4, it says, And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Not just because you're reading them, but because you're putting them into practice. And we're reminded, of course, in uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 17, that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. These are our blessings as God's people that we enjoy as we walk with him. And, of course, the joy of the Lord is your strength. D, an increase in zeal and wisdom. An increase in zeal and wisdom. An increased passion to reach others and to share what you've learned. But also an increase in wisdom. Now, we know that maybe early on in our Christian life or maybe someone who's not had much teaching can be very zealous with no wisdom. And that can be dangerous. But then there's the other extreme. There's people who are very, very knowledgeable, but they've no zeal. And really, neither is good. Whenever we come to the Bible, we see the need for balance. We need zeal. Of course we need zeal. But we need wisdom. And therefore, as we read, may the Lord fill us with zeal, but may we have that wisdom, the regulation of the word. That we don't act outside it just because we think the end will justify the means. But we come to the word and see how God commands us to work. And how God commands us to reach others. And we work within those parameters. May God give us that and make us a balanced people. Increase in love toward the brethren. That's a mark of a holy man. That's a mark of a holy man. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. If you have loved one to another, John 13, 35. And I'll tell you, it is no mark of spirituality when a brother can't speak to a brother. In fact, it's a mark of the ungodly. We can't claim to walk with Christ and refuse to walk with their brethren. And you know, when it comes down to this bottom line, this is sometimes the make or break for people. We're living in reality. We're not in some bubble here. We're dealing with individuals. We're dealing with people. We are not perfect until we get to heaven. And in any church, in any gathering of people, there's going to be issues. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be not seeing eye to eye in certain points. But you know what? If you deal with that scripturally and spiritually, 
you will be able to walk with one another. But you see, when you start to harbor a bitterness in your heart, it's the beginning of the end. Because the thing about bitterness and resentment, they will grow and they will destroy. And we've all seen lives that have been destroyed by bitterness, I'm sure. People who just couldn't get over it. People who just couldn't forgive. People who just couldn't walk on and say, we'll leave it in the hands of the Lord. And they destroyed their own walk with God. We can't just say, oh, that's yes, A, B, C, D. Not sure about that last one, preacher. If we're going to go through with God, be the man that God has called us to be, we have to increase in love toward the brethren. I want to say just in closing, Holiness does not mean the absence of trouble or sorrow. Of course, there is that false teaching in what they call the prosperity gospel. If you uh, are holy, if you're living a certain way, if you're obeying, if you have enough faith, no trouble. Big car in the drive, lots of money in the bank, perfect health. There's people who preach that and many want to listen to it. And I read nothing of that in scripture. In this world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You see, our hope and our joy and our peace is not in the absence of trouble. It's in the presence of Christ in the midst of it all. A very holy man, a holy woman, will not at the sign of trouble or sorrow turn round and blame God. They may question and wonder why. And many of the saints did that in scripture, but they will not blame God. They will keep walking with God. And that's why our habits are so important. If it's our habit to always bring it before the Lord in prayer, to always come to the house of God, to always read the Bible, we'll continue doing that. That's why holiness prepares you for the future as well as blessing you in the present. If you, Thomas Brooks said, if you would now be rich in graces, look to your walking. It's not the knowing soul, nor the talking soul, but the close walking soul, the obedient soul that's rich. Others may be rich in notions, but none so rich in spiritual experience and in all holy and heavenly graces as close walking Christians. And the reason you and I ought to leave this meeting today endeavoring, striving and resolved to go through with God is that the prayer Paul prayed for the church in Colossae might be answered in your life. That in all things he might have the preeminence. And may God make us a holy people. There's no telling what the Lord will do through a people who are yielded to him. Are you going to be that man today? Are you going to leave saying, Lord, I'll go through? Or are you going to struggle on? Trying your best, hoping for the best, but missing out on the true joy of spiritual blessing as you walk with the Lord.